0: Hi, this is Dave Olson. I'm the senior leader of Heartland Church located in Ankeny, Iowa. I hope the following message challenges, encourages, and ultimately changes you. Thanks for joining us. Okay, let's get into the Word this morning. If you want to turn with me to Genesis chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2. This, we are coming up on Valentine's Day. And so February, we usually, we'll, we'll start, we'll look, take a look at relationships. It just seems fitting. And so I want to look at, at uh, I want to look at marriage relationships this morning. And uh, we're going to look at the creation story. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for, uh, Lord, your purposes. And Lord, I pray that you'd speak to us, challenge us, equip us. Convict us, correct us. We pray in Jesus' name, Amen. All right, turn with me to Genesis chapter two. Genesis chapter two, and let's let's read. Uh, look at, read verse fifteen. The Lord God took the man, talking of Adam, and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, notice that Adam's still single at this time. God's a good father, and he required that this young man have a job before he gets a wife. Amen? Amen. Glory. Well, that, that was better preaching than you gave me credit for. Okay, verse 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, for when you eat of it, you shall certainly die. Then the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. So. What we have here is a picture of creation. Chapter 1, he goes through the days of creation, and then he kind of backtracks and fills in the gaps on what really happened here in creating Adam and Eve. And then God had been working for five days, comes to the sixth day, and now he's going to create Adam and Eve. And at the end of each of the five days of creation, God said, he closes it off with, it is good. And so there's something about work and accomplishing something with our hands, that there's something about us that feels satisfaction in that, and that is because we're made in the image of God. And so God would look on his handiwork and say, "It is good, it is good, it is good, it is good." And then on the sixth day, he made man, and he looked at it and he said, "It ain't good." He really did. He said, "It ain't good that man should be alone." And so God did something with Adam. To fix a problem that God recognized that Adam didn't know he had. Okay? So, here's the deal, guys. Gentlemen, your wife was God's answer to a problem you wouldn't even have recognized if he didn't wake you up and make you see that you had the problem in the first place. Adam, he. it says, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. But Adam had no reference point. He didn't know he was alone. There, there probably wasn't even a word for alone because... That's just the state of the human race at the time. He was alone. And so, the, the process by which God awakened this awareness in Adam is a fascinating thing. So, here's the deal. God recognized a problem that Adam had. Adam had this problem called alone. But Adam didn't know he was alone. Matter of fact, this was is, this is probably, oh, a decade and a half ago. Kathy and I used to get the, the Des Moines Register on Sundays and uh, there was a little comic in the comic strips and I don't remember what it was called but it was about Adam and uh, the whole thing was set in the garden he was a little chubby fat guy a naked fat guy that had a recliner and a big screen TV and no wife and it was just him and his dog hanging out and it, I think it might have been called Before Eve it was a picture of what life would have been like without a. I don't know why they presented us as fat and in a recliner with a big screen TV I guess that's what men would be like without a wife but it was that was the it was kind of a funny little little picture. But here here's the thing: God saw that it was not good for Adam to be alone, but Adam was unaware of that. And so, if you read the text, let's look at verse verse uh, nineteen. So eighteen, he said, "It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him." So God already had the end in sight, but he first had to partner with Adam and make Adam aware of his problem. Because often, God can't solve your problem until you agree with Him that you have one. Okay? If you're not aware of the problem you have, God can't solve your problem because it's going to take cooperation. When God operates, He needs you to cooperate. You need to cooperate with Him. So what did God do? It's it's a fascinating thing. Look at verse 19. Now the Lord God had formed out of the ground all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky, he brought them to man to see what he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was its name. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the air and the sky, and all the wild animals. But at, for Adam, no suitable helper was found. That's verses 9, 8, 19, and 20. So here's, here's the flow of the passage. And often we can miss what what Moses, who wrote Genesis, was really saying. God created man. God created for five days. It is good, as it is good, as good. good. On the sixth day, he creates Adam, and He said, "It ain't good. Man's alone. This is this is not done yet. We've got to fix this situation." And then it jumps into this thing. It says, "I'll make a helper suitable for him." But before He does that, it all of a sudden it introduces this little scenario where Adam's naming animals. And at first reading, you can think, "What in the world does that have to do with anything?" That was the manner by which God would awaken Adam to his need. Because he brought Mr. and Mrs. Hippo by, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Elephant, Mr. and Mrs. Tiger and Lion. And everybody else had a spouse except Adam. Adam was alone. And it says explicitly, and no suitable helper was found for him. God was making Adam aware of a deficiency in his life. Adam didn't have a counterpart. Adam didn't have a mate. Now, what's fascinating to me, that all the other creatures, God created as couples. But Adam, he first created as a man. As a matter of fact, it says in chapter three, or chapter 2, verse 26, Let us make man in our image. In the image of God, he made him. Male and female, he made them. And so, God first created man in his image... And then he took that image and broke it into two forms, the feminine and the masculine. Both male and female are an expression of God's nature. We are both, as male and female, we both carry a facet, an expression of the nature of God. And so men and women are both created in God's image. But unlike all of creation, there was something different about how God created Eve. Matter of fact, in the Hebrew, he even uses a different word for the creation of Eve than he used for everything else. And this is not a technical definition, but it really hits at the heart of what the text is really saying. That in all the other other things he made, it has the idea of he kind of slapped it together. He slapped Adam together, formed him put it, you know, stuck his finger in his belly and made a belly button, said he's done, okay. Stood him up, he said, this is not good. And so, in the text, the idea is that there was a longing, there was a looking as Adam is naming all the animals, but he comes to the conclusion at the end, no suitable helper was found for Adam. And as the idea of Adam looking and recognizing, all of a sudden he's different than all of creation. And there was this awakening of a desire. And then, when no suitable helper was found, God put him into a deep sleep. Literally in the Hebrew, the idea is a languid passivity. Almost like Adam gave up looking. And that whole scenario here, at the very beginning, God was crystallizing or casting the die by which he would operate with man from then on. God sees a need in our life, brings about circumstances to awaken our awareness of the need. We try to solve our own need and can find no suitable helper for ourselves. And then, when we come to the end of ourself, out of our rest, God will fix the problem and bring to us His solution. And it's a beautiful picture of redemption and how God operates in relation to man. And so what God did is He brought these animals before Him so Adam could w- be aware of his need, and then God put him into a deep sleep. Now, here's the fascinating thing. All the, all the rest of creation, God slapped things together. It, that, that's not a, a direct rendering, but it, it, it de- doesn't denote the care and the precision of the word used for the creation of woman. Now, you ladies, you had to be poking your husband saying, Amen. There was a precision and a care that God used in the creation of woman that he didn't use in the creation of man. In the, he, they're two different Hebrew words. And so God put Adam to sleep and then took something from his side. He took his rib and formed it into the woman. Formed it into Eve. And the word woman in the Hebrew... I, if I remember right, I haven't studied the, the Hebrew text for many years, but it was like... Uh, and Esha it was a play on words and so Adam looked at her and he said this is bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh this is self of my very self he recognized himself in her as he was frantically looking for a mate he you know he's looking through and there's not much compatibility the closest thing he could find is a baboon and who's you know and he's like oh there's no suitable helper but when he saw her she god presented Eve to him He recognized his counterpart. He recognized himself in her. This is myself of my very self. It's an amazing thing. Everything else God made from the dust of the ground, but not woman. He made Adam from dirt. That's why we feel comfortable there, guys. He made Adam from dirt, but then he took a part of Adam's living body removed it from him and formed it into the woman that he would need. He used more care. He used different substance to make the counterpart. Now, here's, here's the fascinating thing to me. It says, when Adam looked at her, he said, this is my self and my very self. And then it, the very next thing in the text, and for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife. And the failure to do so has given rise to many sitcoms. Everybody loves Raymond. And all those kind of things because if you don't leave your father and mother and cleave to your wife, it's going to cause problems. It doesn't say a wife leaves her father and mother. It says a husband leaves his father and mother and cleaves to his wife. There is a new woman in his life he is, that now takes precedence over mama. And mamas, if you don't... I have had this song just go through about don't let your babies grow up to be cowboys. Mama, don't, don't try to take the place of your husband, or your son's wife. You let him go and you bless her. You become the best friend of your daughter-in-law. You know in Korea when there was the revival in in Korea back at the turn of the last century. At the turn of the last century, there was this tremendous move of God that came through. And one of the markers of that revival was the effect it had on mother-in-law and daughter-in-law relationships. Because in Korea, and this is not isolated to the Korean peninsula at that time in human history. This has been a problem all through history. But it was so severe that some of the young women would go out and try to commit suicide because the mother-in-laws would just ride them so severely and just treat them like dirt and and just ridicule them. It was such a miserable thing. But when revival hit, all of a sudden the mother-in-laws were loving their daughter-in-laws and the daughter-in-laws were honoring their mother-in-laws. and It was a beautiful thing and it was a testament that the kingdom of God had arrived in the churches of Korea. It's an amazing thing. And so, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. That is the goal of marriage. Now, that statement, one flesh, is speaking of the intimate, physical, sexual relationship a man and woman will have. But it's more than that. that is what, that's the end zone of that intimate, physical relationship, that a man and woman are literally to become one flesh. They are to become one together. You ever noticed how you can see a couple that they live together for a while and they start looking like each other? You know? They mean buy the same glasses, you know? It reminds me, I heard this, this story about this preacher. Him and his wife both had dentures, and he would usually get up and preach about 20 minutes, and one morning he accidentally put his wife's teeth in and he preached for two hours that morning. It was amazing. And, uh, okay. It's. Okay, reel it in. Okay, anyway, you know it's so it's amazing how, how. Hey, if that was I, I would if Kathy put my dentures in if I had them, she would talk longer. Okay, I'm the guilty one in our relationship. But anyway, I digress. There's something about that that relationship when we do it well that there is a oneness that is achieved. We become like one another. Uh, If you've been married for a while and you've done this thing right, you start knowing your spouse. Kathy doesn't need to always say something. I can read her looks. Like right now, she's saying, You better watch it. (laughs) See, she's on the front (laughs) row. See, I know my wife. And uh, you just know just by the look. You become one flesh, there's a sensitivity that happens. So here's the ironic thing. I want you to think about this. All the rest of creation, God created, have been pairs. And God could have done it any way he wanted with the human race. You know that? When I was a little kid, this is how I thought it worked. I thought my mom got pregnant and gave birth to my dad. I didn't know how that happened. But I just thought she had my dad and then she had us kids, you know? I thought, and God could have done it that way. Some of you ladies feel like he did, you know? It's like I had to raise my husband and train him up in the way he should go. And when he's old, he won't depart from it. That's not the way it's supposed to go. But the fact is, God could have done it any way he wanted. What he does is he produces little tiny human beings called babies. And they are under the tutelage of their parents. They raise them up. They're they're born very dependent. They move into independence with the goal of someday being dependable. So they can produce their own little tiny humanoids with their spouse and that's how God does it he could have done it any way he wanted but what God did is he looked at man and he said it's not good that man would be alone so he took one whole facet of his nature out of him formed it into a a separate individual with their own ideas desires decision making skills wrapped it in an a a, a form that would be attractive to the one that he took it out of. And he said, now become one with that thing. And that sounded like a great idea, Adam, when he saw Eve. That's where we get the, whoa, man. That's where we get the word. He saw a, whoa, man. And so he, he thought that's a great idea until they had their first argument. Because all of a sudden, here's this person that has her own will and her own desires and her own thoughts and her own opinions. And it begs the question, the principle of design. God does everything for a reason. God is the most intentional being in the universe. God doesn't do anything haphazardly. So why would God take Adam, who had within him what was going to be in Eve and what was in in Adam himself, the male and female were in him, and if God wanted it to be one, why did he separate it and then say, "Now try to get along with this woman?" Seriously, think about that. If, God, if the goal was oneness, why did God separate it in the first place? He's already one, And God looked at it and it was one, he said, "This isn 't good, so i 'm going to divide it, and i 'm going to give her the perspective of a woman." Let me just let that set there for a minute. And I'm going to retain him with the perspective of a male. And now I want them to become one again. And if that was the goal, it begs the question, why did he ever separate it in the first place? And the only conclusion that I can come to is God was trying to fix two problems. He had the first problem of aloneness. It's not good that man would be alone. Now just think about that for a minute because this was the man who would take walks with God in the cool of the day. He would literally hear God coming. There was an intimacy with God that Adam enjoyed that you and I, that most believers can only dream of. Now I believe we have something that he didn't. He dwells within us. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm guessing here. But the fact is, Adam had encounters with God that you and I just dream of. I mean, he would literally physically hear God coming. I don't know what that looked like. Can you imagine? Here he comes through the bushes. God's coming. Hey, God, you know, let's hang out tonight. I mean, I don't even know what that looked like, but what an amazing thing. But yet, in spite of this intimacy he had with his creator, God calls him alone. There was something solved in marriage and relationships in general, because this doesn't just apply to marriage, because the fact is, he was alone. He had no other human relationships, because he had relationships with animals, he had relationships probably with angels, he had relationship with God, but he had no human relationships, and that's what God was after. And so this, these principles don't only apply to marriage, but there is a place where we exhaust the other re- human relationships, and there's something that we only find in marriage, and that's what God was really after in this passage. And God said, it's not good that man would be alone. Even though he had this thing with God, he was saying, there's something that I have in store for you, you can't get from me. I want that just to settle for a moment. Because I'm afraid that sometimes when we are not good at human relationships, when we are dysfunctional in our human relationships, then we can kind of curb that desire and and, uh, stave off the conviction of heaven by saying, well, I I have a relationship with God. God fills that need. And the Lord would give you a resounding, no, I don't, out of this passage. Because even though Adam had such a relationship with God, God was saying there's something you need in human relationships. And you are not whole unless you have relationships with God, a relationship with God, but also relationships with one another. Having a relationship with God is not enough. God would look at that life and say, it is not good that that individual be alone. Now, the fact is, not everybody ends up married, and sometimes that is a spiritual gift called celibacy. That God gives a spiritual gift it, it, that's the, there's two gifts you don't hear people praying for. Celibacy and martyrdom. Yeah. Martyrdom is the one you only use once. But you don't hear a lot of people pray. But there are people that have that as a gift from God. There was a time in my life, when I, when I got saved, uh, You know, I, I, was, I was a mess. I came off the streets. I'd been homeless for a couple of years. And when I got saved, I went into Teen Challenge and the Lord told me, He said, You are not to date until you are per- perfectly satisfied with life without a woman. Because otherwise, you'll try to fulfill with the woman what only I can fill, and I can't bless your idolatry. Now, he wasn't saying I can't have relationships. He was saying I can't, he didn't want me to have a romantic relationship with a woman. Why? Because I had, I had morphed that thing into something that was very unhealthy. I didn't understand it at the time. All I understood was this. That wasn't me thinking that. I don't even think like that. That that was too complicated a thought for me to come up with. And it certainly wasn't something my flesh was desiring, that my flesh would concoct. But the Lord was very clear. He said, I want you to take a season and just walk with me and don't pursue a relationship with a woman. Don't pursue a romantic relationship. I I had female friends, but don't pursue anything romantically. And I made that commitment to the Lord and then as I walked with the Lord for a while, then he, then he, he, he didn't roll it all out at once because I wouldn't have been open to it. But what he told me is he said, he said, don't, don't look for a relationship. I'm going to bring one to you. And I met my wife in a frozen yogurt shop and she laughed at my jokes and I said, I better grab this one. You know, That's a rare thing. And uh, no, we got to know each other. The Lord spoke to my heart one night and said, that's your wife. You better treat her like she deserves. And I thought, I better get to know her. And uh, so we did, thank God. But there was this thing in me that was unhealthy. Even though it's not good for a man to be alone, there was an unhealthy way in which I related with women. And it was, it was for a validation for my identity. And I didn't realize it at the time, but what the Lord was addressing in my life is this principle. If you need her, you can't lead her. Because if you need her to be whole, if you need her to have your identity then what you will do is you will always... You're, you're not going to be the leader in the home. What you're going to do is just try to read what you think she wants. And contrary... I know this is not really politically correct, but I'm telling you, what a godly woman really wants is a man who will lead and lay down his wife for his wife. Life for his wife. And I wasn't able to do that initially because my, my heart was all mixed up. And so I began to surrender that to the Lord, and the Lord just told me, you, you begin to follow me, and I'll bring a, a woman into your life. Now, I'm getting a little off track here, but uh, you know what happened when I met Kathy? She just really wigged me out, because she wouldn't, she, she was, there, there's a verse in uh, the Song of Solomon, chapter 8, and it says this, these brothers are speaking of their sister, they said, what shall we do with her on the day she has spoken for? If she is a door, we will enclose her with panels of cedar. But if she's a wall, we will shower her with towers of silver, I think is the way it says it. What they're talking about is this. What is is the emotional, even the physical state of our little sister? If she's a wall, if she's a door, if men can come in and out of her life at will, if they can come into her and, and leave and come in and out, then... We're going, to, we're going to protect her and we're going to put her in, we're going to you know, lock her away from men because she's going to be easily taken advantage of. But if she's a, a wall, if, she, if people can't come in and out of her life, if there's this protection in her life, they said we'll reward her on the day she is spoken for. And then the very next verse, the uh, Song of Solomon's a pretty explicit passage, uh, book. She said, I am... She said, my breasts are like towers and I am a wall. She said, I'm full grown, okay? I made it to womanhood. And I am a wall. She's talking about that emotional state where she isn't out pursuing or advertising and and trying to get into every relationship and just allowing people to come at will in and out of her emotional life. Does that make sense? That there's a healthy sense of who she was. And she was saving herself for the person God had for her. Now, prior to getting saved, I was used to women that were adore. Okay, I remember saying when, when just before I got saved, I said, "I don't chase women; they chase me." <laughs> and uh, that sounded really arrogant, but the fact was, I was scared spitless of rejection. Okay. So I wasn't about to ask any girl out unless I knew she was interested. So I let her make the first move. And it was a very dysfunctional thing. And that's what God was wanting to correct in me as a young man. And I met my wife and I couldn't tell because she was just a, she was a godly woman. I saw her at the prayer meetings. She would be there till, you know, we'd have these prayer meetings early in the morning and then late at night when... The Bible school we were connected to would do a lot of crusades, and so we'd go and pray, and I'd see her at the prayer meetings. And uh, I thought, man, she's pretty, and she prays. Man, what more could you want? And, uh, but I couldn't tell if she was interested. It was so frustrating because God was wanting me to pursue. Here's part of the problem in a lot of marriages Again, not very politically correct, but I'm telling you, this is how God made things. God has called the man to lead and lay down his life for his wife. She is called to be a help meet. That's why it is important that you have some direction, sir, for your life, because she can't help you do what you're called to do if you don't know what you're called to do. You frustrate her as well as yourself. And so... A lot of times in marriages, I've counseled many, many, many couples and wives will come in and they're frustrated. My husband is not the spiritual leader and, you know, I just, I wish he'd just get his act together and the guy's sitting there looking down and, and so I ask them this question and they look at me like, why are you asking these irrelevant questions? And this is what I'll ask. Who asked who out? And they're like, hey, we're married. We've been married for a decade. That's, that is old news. That, that has nothing to do with what's going on in our life right now. And I'll ask again, who asked who out? And the reason I'm asking that is, the way you start your relationship is how you're going to set the this, this stage for the rest of the relationship. And there's something about a woman making a man pursue her. I'm not talking about making yourself unapproachable. But there's something about making a man pursue, because that it... The pursuit of a woman before marriage lays the groundwork for him to be the leader in the marriage. Now, the fact is, a lot of us, uh, before we got saved, we were a mess. And that doesn't mean we can't relay the right ground in the marriage, but it's a whole lot easier to do it beforehand than try to restructure it afterwards. And so God has called men to lay down their life to be the leader and to pursue. Even the smallest expressions of male and female bear this out. Eggs don't pursue sperm cells. Okay? Seriously. The egg drops into the waiting room and the sperm pursues the egg. And it's a picture, a little microcosm of the male-female relationship. And so God has called men to put themselves in the line. And my, my wife, she was not emotionally easy. She wasn't a door advertising. And so I couldn't tell if she was interested until I put myself on the line. And I said, I'm interested. And she said, so am I. I'm like (sighs) sweating. (laughs) Thank God. (sighs) You wouldn't believe the torment I went through to get that out. But God was laying the groundwork for our relationship. It wasn't good for me to be alone. But before I could enter into a healthy relationship, I had to detox from the, the unhealthy ones, and I had to you put it this way: a little boy is dependent upon his mother. I, I think it was uh, Wellington Boone wrote a book called, "Your Wife is not Your Mama." That's good preaching. Because there are a lot of guys who are looking for a mother, someone to care for them. And that is the result of not having single years where they have unplugged from their mom and had those years of singleness. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says this. He said, A married man is concerned with how he may please his wife and his interests are divided. But a single man is concerned with how he may please the Lord. Now, catch that again, understand the principle of design tells us that God could have done could have created a family, could have created a marriage, could have created the male and female relationship any way he wanted. We could have been born in pairs as eggs, you know the egg cracks open, we both kind of roll out on the table and fall in love. you know like he could have done it any way he wanted, but he didn 't. so what happens is we have a relationship with that all important Woman in our life, our mother who cares for us. But God instituted, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, this period of time called the single years. And the, pers- the purpose of the single years is to develop single-mindedness, single-minded devotion to the Lord. Where a man unplugs from his mom, and he learns to find himself in his own identity before he tries to take on a wife. And what happens is in our culture a lot of times, boys go from mom to girlfriend to wife and they've never had a single year. And they've never developed an identity in and of themselves. And it can cause problems in the marriage. And so what happens is the man actually does need her for validation. And if you need her, it's going to cause problems in your ability to lead her. And when I say lead her, I'm not talking some domineering dictatorship where my wife has no opinion. We, we, are, we are partners in the leading of our home. I don't make big decisions on, in, for our family without talking to her and vice versa. And so we have that open communication and I need her perspective. There's a whole facet of the human race that dwells within her that I don't have. But ultimately, I'm, I'm the male and I'm to lay down my life like Jesus laid his life down for his bride. And so it's very important that we understand this principle of design. That God created us to go from a child under our parents to singleness to a married mother and father that produces our own children. But if we don't have those single years, as men especially, it can cause problems. And you see it a lot. And so God looks at Adam and He said, it's not good that man should be alone. And so what does He do? He took something out of Adam, formed it into a woman, a form that would be attracted to him, brought it back and He said, now become one with this thing. So what was God after? God was after oneness through mutual sacrifice and submission. What Adam once had by design God took out of him, gave that thing, <laughs> that, uh, her own personality, her own ideas, her own opinions, her own perspective and the way of looking at things, and then brings him, her back to him and said, now become one with this thing. And now to get back what he once had by design, by creation, to get it back, now he has to die to himself and sacrifice and lay down his life. He has to be willing to give and not just exist for himself. Because these two individuals, the man and the woman, both have needs and responsibilities. And the secret to a good marriage is, I'm going to focus on your needs and my responsibilities. But we know that human nature says, I'm going to focus on my needs And your responsibilities. Matter of fact, there's times when I'm counseling couples, I won't counsel them together. You know why? (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Because what happens is, is when you're talking to the, the wife about what she needs to do from Scripture, the husband takes a lot of notes. And then when you start to talk to the husband, then the wife starts taking notes. And they want to hold each other accountable to what the Scripture says about them, but they don't want to hear what the Scripture says to them personally. And that's just human nature. That isn't that isn't isolated to problem couples. That's a human problem. And so God, it, it's an amazing thing that what God did is He took something out of Adam that He already had, wrapped it in another individual and brought it back to Adam and said, now, I want you to become one with this thing. But now, getting back what He once had by design will demand that He has to say know to himself, deny himself, lay his life down for another. Put someone else first. And in so doing, God is going to grow both of them up so they can become all they were called to be. The vast majority of people, now there are some people who are disciplined like the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul was an amazing man of God and never did marry. But it's rare for a man to be able to become what he's called to be, without a woman putting a demand on him. without Let me put it this bluntly. Without the imposition of a woman and her children. Without a man being needed. Without that harnessing his potential. I've talked about this book before. I've got it in my office. It's called Naked Nomads, The Single Man in America. It was written back in the 70s by a guy who eventually, George Gilder, who was a sociologist, who eventually became a speechwriter for Ronald Reagan. Now, I have no reason to believe George Gilder was a Christian. May have been, may have not have been. He didn't address that. But he did this study, this whole uh, book, it's a hardcover book, on the single man in America back in the 70s. And he, he's talking about Joe Namath and Mick Jagger. That, those were the icons at that time, so it kind of dates to books. But what he, what he came to the conclusion on, he did a, a lot of study and he found out that the, uh, all the negative statistics that a man would not want to find himself on, incarceration, in, mental institutionalization, unemployment, all these bad lists that the older a man gets without a wife, that's where he, that, that they, they, they're the ones that occupy the upper echelons of those statistics. And the conclusion was because a man needs that demand placed upon him. Now there are people who are disciplined enough and mature enough and self-sacrificing enough that can get there, but most men need somebody to put those demands on them. And that's what causes them to grow. And that explains why married men, by and large, tend to produce and make more than single men. Not because there's some kind of built-in prejudice for marriage and singleness. It's because what it does to a man is it puts the demand on him and makes him begin to grow up. He's willing to do things for those people he loves that he wouldn't do on his own otherwise. The second chapter of the book begins with this story, because George Gilder, ironically, was a single man when he wrote the book. And he says, I am writing this from a hospital bed. He said, I was doing the research for my book, so I took a vacation. And he said, I got me a really nice hotel on the edge and the the on the edge of this cliff, and it had a veranda. And I wanted to see over the cliff. So I figured I'd just climb out on the edge of the veranda so I could get a look. And he said, I slipped and fell down the cliff, and now I'm in a hospital. And I'm finishing up my book in this hospital. And he said, and it really makes my point. A married man would never do that. Because a single man will take risks, a married man won't. And I don't know about you, but I found that to be true about myself. I don't have the luxury of being so stupid (laughs) anymore because I have kids. I I have a wife that needs me. I've got to make sure I'm around. God was getting at something in Adam. There was potential in Adam that God wanted to call out, but he looked at him and said, it ain't good. He's alone, and I'm never going to get him there by being alone. Now again, this applies to every relationship. Without relationships in your life, there are things in you that will never be called out of you. There's potential in you that will never be revealed, manifested, and unfold. You'll never mature without relationships, because you can't grow alone. You may be able to grow some, but I'm telling you, you've got to have relationships putting demands upon you. But specifically... No relationship will put more demand on you than that romantic relationship called marriage. It forces you to have to deal with you, to lay down your life, to become the selfless individual that God desired. And here's the irony. All of this took place before the fall. This is not... (laughs) It's not a... Marriage is not a result of sin, okay? As much as you want to believe that in your last fight with your wife or husband, marriage was part of God's design before the fall. Relationships are part of God's design before the fall. And it doesn't matter how great a relationship you have with God, you need relationships with other human beings. And you need to have people putting demands on you and you have needs that you're not going to be able to fulfill with God. You've got you've to go to other human beings and put demands on them in a healthy way so that you can have those needs met because there are some things that God has put within you that he will not fill for you. He's going to only do that through human beings. So much so that he could look at Adam when he had such a unique relationship with him and said, it ain't good, Adam's still alone. And so, in this Valentine's uh, season where we celebrate relationships, I want to encourage you. I have felt very strongly in coming into this year, the end of last year, coming into this year, that there is a new, fresh emphasis in the body of Christ for us to draw closer together. I'm not just talking about Heartland. I'm talking about across the earth. There is an emphasis. There's been an awareness in the body of Christ for us to go deeper together. Not just deeper with God, but deeper together and create those relationships that bind us together. And if we don't, we will never be what God's called us to be. You'll never reach your potential alone. We need relationships. So I want to encourage you this morning as we close. Do you have human relationships, friendships? Do you have relationships that you've had conflicts And that you've worked through the conflict and you're still friends? Because if you are, I guarantee you you're better friends than before the conflict. And disagreements, the fact that God took Adam or Eve out of Adam and gave her her own opinions and her own perspective and her own ideas was precise. God knew right from the beginning there's going to be disagreements. You can't have two people with two different perspectives and expect them to agree on everything. There's going to be disagreements. And that was by divine design before the fall. But it was one of the ways in which God would call us deeper together and higher as an individual. It would cause us to mature, but it would also cause us to go deeper in relationship. And we all need those relationships where we can work through things and still be running together. And if you... If, if when you hit a speed bump in a relationship, you abandon that relationship, that should be a big red flag to you. There is something wrong with the way I do relationships. I need to learn to work through things. There needs to be history with people that you've weathered some storms. That there's, your, your relationships are bound together by a cord much stronger than agreement. Agreement. Much stronger than we have the same opinion on things, so we need to be doing relationships together. Saw Carlos's shirt this morning. Revival is family. I love that. It's a good word. You know where he got that? IHOP. At their last one thing conference, they pulled the plug on their annual event that attracts anywhere from twenty to thirty thousand people a year. That's a big conference. That's a lot of money coming in and a lot of work going out to put on this event. And you know what they did? They pulled the plug on it. Because they said, we're giving too much attention to doing events and we're not giving enough attention to one another. And that's why they created that shirt. Revival is family. And God's answer to the problems that plague the world is He sent His Son because He wanted many sons. He wants to create a family. And it's not just you having a relationship with the Father, it's you having a relationship with your brothers and sisters. And so, let's, let's close with this. Father, Lord, I, I pray, God, that as we enter into the fullness of this year, Lord, I'm asking, God, that you would teach us to do relationships better. Lord, not just with our spouses, not just with our biological families, But Lord, I ask that you make us skilled in how to do relationships well. Lord, that we would be able to build relationships with longevity and honor that will weather storms and will call each of us higher as individuals and deeper in our relationships. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to help more people hear this message, you can get the word out by subscribing and sharing it on social media. If you'd like to support the ministries of Heartland Church, you can do so at heartlandchurchonline.com slash give.